Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, Chief Commerce Strategy Officer and Publicist, and Scott Wingo, CEO of Get Spiffy and co-founder of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 212 being recorded live on Wednesday, March 18th, 2020. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg. And as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason Scott Show listeners. We're excited to have you live, live, live. Uh, Jason, we've been working from home for a long time. It's getting pretty crazy. I, I know I talked to you earlier, and you and your son were doing some lightsaber battling as kind of a little break there, so that's exciting. And we thought it would be fun to do this live podcast. We've we've always kind of thought it'd be fun to experiment with the format and see what people like or don't like. So we're excited to try this out. Um, so we're gonna we have a live stream here, but obviously we'll be out in our normal audio only format later tomorrow. Uh, so we've got about 10 folks live, which is great. And so what we're going to do tonight is spend about five minutes on kind of our normal flow, uh, and then kick it to you guys for any questions. If you want to, uh, kind of get in the queue for a question, go ahead and raise your hand. You should see, uh, at the bottom of the webinar window there, we have a different view than you do, but I think there's a little raise your hand thing. So, uh, go ahead and get in the queue and we will kick it out to you in a couple minutes. So. Jason, how are you doing? Are your Starbucks closed? At ours, we can still get mobile orders, but I think in bigger cities, everything's closed. Is that right? No, no. Uh, my local Starbucks is open for to-go orders only. Um, and it uh, again, it's, it's a little bit of a shame. I've been trying to um, over tip every time I go in there because they're, they're not making any money and I desperately need them to keep working. Um, so a little bit self, uh, uh, self-benefiting generosity. But um, you know, uh, every single time they take cash, they have to wash their hands. So I'm mobile ordering, and then I go in and pick it up, uh, and I want to give a big tip. And the user interface actually caps the tip you can get, which I never noticed before. Hmm. You can't do it. Uh, I know amount, get, which is sad. I know they introduced a thing where they have a window, so you can do it later. Like it used to have a really, you, had, you yeah, can only do yeah. it at the order. Now they've but got the, a window. But the, it's discrete values you can tip. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And no custom, huh? Uh, yeah, no, no, no. But I, I have um, oh. augmented my my Starbucks. Uh, I actually shifted from lattes to iced coffees um, in a, a vain effort to uh, slightly improve my health. Um, and I've got in my refrigerator right now about 10 gallons of Starbucks iced coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah. All right. So you're, you're stockpiling. Yeah, exactly. I'm, we out other people are hoarding everything. toilet paper. I'm against that, but I am hoarding iced coffee. So if you're someone that couldn't get iced coffee in Chicago this week, I'm, I'm sorry. So this reminds me, I've been meaning to ask you uh, on the interwebs, but do you think, you know, you're a big payments guy. Do you think this, this virus is going to get rid of cash even faster and lend more towards digital payments? Is yeah, there any data think, that you're seeing on that? Or? I do. I think there's a whole host of behaviors that are changing while we're in the middle of the pandemic. Um, and I think there's a reasonable chance that many of those behaviors will stick post-pandemic, right? So maybe not to the same level, but um, I'm, I'm sort of writing a POV for a bunch of our clients right now. But one of the, uh, the hypotheses is that uh, 
the American, the typical American consumer is going to be more germ phobic after this pandemic than they were before this pandemic. Um, and that manifests itself in retail in a bunch of ways, but, um, digital payments and touchless payments, you know, may be preferred to handing your credit card to a clerk or handing cash or, um, having your, your card, you know, physically go through the machine. So I'm not sure that's the, going to be the, the hugest shift. Um, but, you know, the other thing that's happening is a lot of consumers are trying new methodologies for the first time ever. Their first curbside grocery pickup or their first uh, order ahead for Starbucks. Um, and many of those consumers will adopt that new behavior. So for both of those reasons, um, I think that the net net is probably slightly favorable to the digital payment space. Very cool. Awesome. So we wanted to just capture at the top of the show some news. So most people are aware that a lot of retailers have either closed or substantially cut back hours due to the COVID-19 virus. So we've got a little list here. So um, alphabetically, uh, you know, I'll, uh, unless I say otherwise, these are all closed through March 27th. So we've got Abercrombie, Adidas, Allbirds, American Eagle, Apple, uh, Away, Canada Goose, Casper, Chico's, Columbia Sportswear, Dick Sporting Goods. They're limiting their hours. They're not closed. Foot Locker Gap, Glossier, Hudson's Bay, H&M, JCPenney's, they're April 2nd. J. Crew, Kohl's on reduced hours. Uh, L Brands, Lego, that's a really sad one because if you're going to be stuck inside with kids, you really need some Legos. So that's, that's you're going to have to go to Walmart or Target, I guess, for your, for your Legos. Uh, Lululemon, Macy's, Neiman Marcus, Nike, Nordstrom, Patagonia, they actually closed their web operations. I don't know if you... Yeah, they're about the only ones I know of that did that. yeah. Uh, Peloton, REI, Sephora, April 3rd, Ulta, uh, 331, Under Armour, 328, Urban Outfitters, VF Corp, which is Vans and Timberland and others, uh, and then Warby. So, uh, and then uh, to kind of cap it off, today, Simon Properties announced they're closing all their malls. So that's pretty huge. Uh, and I don't know about West, what's the other one, Westfields? Uh, have they announced closures? I haven't seen another mall operator announce a a chain like a fleet wide closures uh individual properties have announced closures where that was um mandated by the local municipality yeah so so we're recording this on the 18th this is 9 days away generally uh on you know the 28th 29th do you think these stores are opening or are we going to see this stretch into april uh so i'm not an expert in pandemics um but my my sense is we are in for a pretty prolonged closure so i i don't think that uh that we're going to expect to see these things open back up in april like every new thing that closes is announcing a later reopening date um and so you know for example the schools like at first they're like, we're going to close for two weeks and reevaluate. And now they're all saying at a minimum, we're going to be closed through all of April. Um, and uh, like, I'm now hearing, you know, things close that aren't anticipating open uh, opening until sometime in May at the earliest. Um, and it, it just doesn't seem likely to me that retail is going to reopen dramatically before a lot of these other um, shelter in place measures are, are lifted. So I'm, I'm terrified that we're, we're in this thing for, you know, at least a, a sort of a two month disruption and, and potentially significantly longer. 
Yeah, there was uh, there's someone that had a kind of interesting idea that at first I thought was a joke, but imagine if stores could put like circles on the floor, kind of like paths, and they were all 10 feet away from each other. And you could kind of have a, you know, going down an aisle, we're all going to go this way and be 10 feet away. Do you think we'll see some really weird changes like that to retail to you know, this, uh, we've already seen some interesting things on queuing um, where customers have to be spaced, you know, much further apart than we typically see for queuing. Um, there are grocery stores that are saying one customer on the conveyor belt at a time. Um, there, there are little, little things like that. Um, if you're in a municipality that has a shelter in place order and that municipality doesn't define you as a critical service, and that's very controversial right now because the definition of what a critical service is, is wildly different from place to place. Um, I doubt you're going to get away with just making some, some like more strict spacing rules and open early just doesn't seem, seem plausible. Cool. So um, let's kick it out to the live audience and uh, raise your hand and let us know if you have a question. Jason, do you see anyone out there queuing for questions? I, I am, am scanning, uh, and uh, uh, I, th- I think there's going to be some nerves about breaking the ice because nobody. Uh, well, we know Nicholas. Let's let's put Nicholas on the spot. He submitted a question. Maybe he'll he'll ask right. it. Nicholas, uh, to warn you, you are unmuted. I don't know if you have an audio set up or not. We can read your question if you don't. But can uh, are you able to speak, Nicholas? Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You sound great. Bonjour. Hey, hey bonjour. <laughs> Good to see you guys. I was going to comment on uh, Scott's giant uh, microphone, by the way. Um, <laughs> Thanks. Um, Jason has microphone envy, but we don't. We're, we're keeping this safe for the kids. I like the I like the video format. That's pretty cool. I'm a I'm a frequent listener to the uh, podcast. Let, let the record show. I I, I do have a, as big a mic as uh, Scott. I'm not going to get into relative sizes. Very and nice. Just, and yours is a cover too. That's very I just had it out of frame. Yeah. And I, uh, he spits a lot, see, but I, I, mine's branded too. So there is that. He, he expectorates quite a bit. So he yeah. needs a spit garden. Exactly. <clears throat> uh, that's so called the pop I, filter. I, I posted a, a question on your Facebook page. Um, it was a little bit tongue in cheek, but, but I'm sure people are, are wondering why the, the rush and, and on, on toilet paper across all the stores in America. Um, and there's a lot of experts out there that have different theories on why that is the, the hot product right now. But uh, I'm, I'm, I was wondering whether you had a theory. Yeah, I have an opinion about everything. But Scott, did you uh, did you have any thoughts you wanted to share? Uh, I think it's a mass hysteria. I think once there's kind of the snowball effect that once you see someone with a cart full, you're like, I better go get some of that. So I, I kind of put it up to mass hysteria that there was there was some starting event. Um, now we're, in my area, we're seeing it with milk, which doesn't make yeah. any sense. So you're seeing carts full of milk. Uh, I guess people, I, I read an article, it didn't make sense to me, but I guess people are freezing it. Um, and then there's this one guy in Chicago that's evidently hoarding iced coffee. So I read an <laughs> article about him. <laughs> it, <was fun>. yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, <laughs> it, it is interesting. Like the, there's kind of the rational and the irrational. Um, I, I actually have several clients in the, the family care paper goods industry. And so one thing to know, um, there is no limited supply of toilet paper manufacturing capacity. Like toilet paper, unlike a lot of these other goods, is is mostly made in the U.S. Um, and there's voluminous manufacturing capacity. 
What's slightly unique about toilet paper is it's so inexpensive and it's so bulky that in normal times, it doesn't make sense to store a lot of prefabricated toilet paper. So the supply chain is pretty efficient. They mostly make it on demand um, and ship it right to the store. So when they had this run, um, the good news is much more so than anything else, it's super easy to turn up the volume on the toilet paper production and get more in the chain and uh, a bunch of, of, of toilet paper is going to land on all the shelves of the retailers in the next week. So unlikely people are going to be in a bad situation with no toilet paper. It is bad for the retailers and the manufacturers, however, because the pandemic isn't going to cause anyone to use more toilet paper. So you know, there's some products that are selling better as a result of the pandemic, like cleaning products or alcohol, where our consumption is probably going way up. So their their uh, spike in sales is sort of a permanent, legitimate spike in, uh, in sales. Um, but uh, in the case of toilet paper, what's happening is sales are just getting front loaded. Everyone's going to end up with a closet full of toilet paper. And after the pandemic, toilet paper uh, sales are going to um, be very slow for a while as everyone burns through their inventory. So from a practical standpoint, that's sort of the situation. They're making a bunch more unlikely to uh, to be a, a prolonged shortage, um, but not an awesome economic situation. Uh, from the, the irrational standpoint, one of the problems with the pandemic is there's very few active things we can do to help ourselves. Like we, you know, there's not medications we can take. There's the... Um, you know, most of what we're being asked to do is very passive and that feels disempowering. And so it's a normal human instinct that we want to do stuff proactively to take care of ourselves and our family. Um, and, uh, you know, getting an excess supply of toilet paper and other supplies has ended up being that proactive thing that people have felt like they could do. Um, and in the case of toilet paper, more so than say milk, um, like there's a very negative incentive to not having it. If you don't have milk, um, you know, if you have kids, it's it's a potential serious situation, but um, uh, you just don't drink milk. Um, you, you know, you don't have the option to just not uh, go to the bathroom if you don't have toilet paper. And so people imagine that negative situation and it feels particularly painful. So you, you're more inclined to buy toilet paper. And then as as Scott rightly pointed out, um, that situation snowballs because, you know, the, the next set of panickers walk into the store and they see toilet paper in everyone's cart. So they put toilet paper in their cart. And then the third set of shoppers come in and they see the shelf is empty. So they start, you know, going to uh, places that no one shopped in six months, like Staples and trying to buy toilet paper. Yeah. Once our restaurants closed for, they still do delivery, but you know, there's this whole you know, set of people, um, I would kind of say millennials largely just in a broad spectrum that don't really cook. So once, once the restaurants closed, um, you know, and they're relatively cheap, so they don't like the delivery options, which are more expensive, our fresh vegetables and ramen and, and kind of that college kind of stuff went, went really fast. So, uh, it was, at first it was kind of toilet paper, sanitizer, cleaner, um, then it was milk. And then now it's kind of the other parts of, of the grocery store, but there's still cauliflower. No one likes cauliflower. Yeah, uh, and vegan products. It's super funny. <laughs> yeah, they're vegan and organic. Store, all the shelves are like all the dairy is completely wiped out, but in the middle of the dairy, there's one shelf that's completely full, and it's it's all the vegan cheeses. Yeah. Cool. Any other questions, Nicholas? Well, I don't want to monopolize the uh, the conversation, but uh, and 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 maybe you can go to another question. But 
what I'll put out there is it'll be, um, you've talked a little bit about some of the products who might see their supply chains disrupted. Maybe you can expand on that later in the show around, do we think there will be massive disruptions to supply chains or core products? Or do we think retailers are just, you know, adjusting in the short term and we'll get back to normal? Let, let me kick a question to you. You're, uh, are you in the Bay Area um, today? I am. Yeah. yeah. What, I'm what's not. what's the shelter? So, so I think that's the only area really that has a shelter in place um, where you're not even allowed to leave until it's essentially an emergency. How has that changed people's behavior? Did did people have enough food and, and give us a? Uh, hopefully, you know, we don't all get there, but we probably will. What's that like? Yeah. So um, I've been telling the story uh, this week. So Monday afternoon, I, I went out with my one of my sons to. Um, um, you know, get our haircut because that was one of the places that was going to shut down. deemed non-essential. So we, we went and did that. And we looked around at which stores, you know, how the stores were doing. Uh, we have a Safeway nearby, a grocery store, and that seemed to be going fine. And they were going to stay open, of course. But the longest lines going around the block were uh, for the cannabis uh, stores because people were pretty convinced that they were going to get shut down. Um, they did get shut down. Um, um, so I guess people had time to to load up on that. Uh, however, they got reopened because I guess now they're deemed to be an essential commodity. So I thought that was interesting. But in general, uh, it's pretty quiet here. Um, there's a bit, a bit of a ghost town downtown and, and all around the city. Um, people, I think, are following the, um, the, the directives of, of staying home and, and, and keeping their uh, movements to, to a minimum. Um, so it's, it's kind of an eerie, eerie feeling. And we're just, you know, a couple of days in, uh, the question is whether, you know, what does that look like a week out, two weeks out? Very cool. Uh, thanks for that. We'll get to your supply chain. Uh, let's see if we have any other questions. Jason, I think Adam had a question. Yeah. And I have unmuted, uh, Adam. So Adam, uh, uh, if you have audio, feel free to, to ask your question. Otherwise send it to us via text or I'm staring at it via text. How are you guys? I, I just put the question in there about what do you think the implications are going to be for grocery retailers? I assume a lot of people right now are ordering maybe for the first time. Maybe some people are just doing it more than they used to. So we have a pretty elevated percentage of the population, most likely. Do you think people ultimately sort of go back to the level of online ordering and grocery uh, similar to before? Or have we just accelerated to you know five years ahead and, and that'll be a pretty sticky category? Yeah, I'll, I'll take a first shot. It looks like Jason's unwinding a cable or something. There. I don't know what's Plugging going on. in power to my laptop, 14%. <laughs> Uh-oh. Yep. Hey, Jason, don't forget to plug in the power on the laptop. Okay, there he goes. Uh, all right, so I'll take a shot at this. Um, I think ideally this would create a new level where we get people to experience these, these kind of new on-demand services. What, what I worry about is I'm a heavy user of these things and they've seriously degraded during this. They're, they're not able to handle the, the demand. Um, food delivery has gotten worse. Um, I'm a big Instacart user and they've got windows out. I was trying to get some stuff from like Costco. This was my, my go-to for, for Instacart. Um, and I'm looking at delivery windows next Wednesday. Um, Prime now, I can't even order anything on Prime now in my area because all the delivery windows are gone. So, you know, that... My, my concern is we're going to see this this huge demand and then people are going to have a bad experience because the supply just isn't keeping up as fast as this spike in demand. Um, but, you know, if, if, if this, the odd thing is if this goes on long enough, those things will balance out that, you know, um, you know, as, as 
as retail, for example, lays off workers, they'll, they'll be more delivery kind of people. And then I think that'll balance out and the user experience will get better. So there's this weird inverse correlation I would predict of the longer this goes on, the better it will be for on-demand experiences. But at the same time, none of us wants it to go on a long time. Jason, what do you think? Yeah, uh, so I think you'd way rather be a grocery retailer than a lot of other categories of retail. Um, because I like I don't think this is going to be a good situation for anyone, but I feel like there's more silver linings for grocery than a lot of other retail. So, um, so first of all, you're not going to have the same revenue disruption, right? Like if you're Abercrombie and Fitch or JCPenney, like, you're facing the prospect of having zero revenue for the next two to three months, right? Which is going to be economically devastating. Um, even in China at its worst, the grocery stores never closed. Um, so good news, the grocery stores are going to continue to get some revenue. As you sort of implied in your question, Adam, uh, this this uh, pandemic is spawning a lot more trials of digital grocery than we ever had before. So, you know, we were projecting digital grocery was going to grow pretty rapidly anyway. It's now going to grow much more rapidly because a, a lot more users got forced into their first trial, and that behavior is likely to stick with a bunch of those those new consumers. It's a mixed bag, however, because as Scott pointed out, service levels are at an all-time low, so you, you're getting a bunch of customers to do their first trial, and the experience kind of sucks. But I have a feeling a lot of consumers are going to cut retailers a lot of slack. I think it's a little bit like the dancing bear. The, the magic is they can get groceries delivered at all, not that the groceries get delivered as reliably and promptly as, as uh, consumers would expect under normal circumstances. But here's a, um, uh, an unfortunate thing. If you're Walmart or Kroger and there's a customer of yours that's been shopping in your store and they're going to switch to digital grocery, grossing and there's a risk that that test is going to be with Amazon – Walmart or Kroger would desperately rather you try them than try Amazon, right? So they're fighting really hard to win digital consumers for grocery um, that already have an inclination to switch to digital. But they don't really want their core shoppers to switch to digital because at the moment, those digital grocery orders are way less profitable than an in-store grocery order. Um, and so the fact that the whole world is now accelerating their use of digital grocery is going to be economically challenging for grocery. Um, again, better situation that they're switching to a slightly less profitable version of your, your service than that they're abandoning your service altogether. So, so I do think grocery is better off than apparel or department stores. Um, but you know, it is creating new opportunities and new challenges for grocers. And I guess the one other thing I would point out, um, all grocers were piloting these programs for what I call micro-fulfillment centers, which are these sort of automated robotic systems. They store all the goods. When a customer places an online order, the robot uh, aggregates that order and gets it ready to be you know, curbside pickup or delivered. And that uh, is, is about one-tenth the cost of paying a person to run around the store picking that order. Um, and so these micro-fulfillment centers are an important way that digital grocers could be profitable at scale. So I have a feeling that this accelerated pivot to digital grocery is going to accelerate grocers' investment in micro-fulfillment centers. And I think there's another bonus. I think the, this uh, post-pandemic consumer that's going to be more germaphobic is probably going to like the fact um, that the the bag of uh, cashews that you get from the micro fulfillment center wasn't available to be handled by a hundred other customers in that grocery store. 
Um, so I actually think from a germaphobic standpoint, uh, consumers may have a slight preference for these micro-fulfillment centers. So for both of those reasons, I think we're going to see uh, post-pandemic grocer, grocery have to make a, a bigger investment in these micro-fulfillment centers. And the fact that we now know Amazon's new grocery store in LA is intended to have a micro-fulfillment center, you know, anything Amazon does puts the, appropriately puts the fear of God in all the other retailers and accelerates investment. So I think for all those reasons, that's, that's a likely outcome of this whole deal. Cool. Adam, thanks for the question. I, I see you have another one. We'll circle back around to you. Um, Jason, we've got Joshua uh, is next. And then after him, we have Jamie. All right, Joshua, you are, you're now uh, live and able to talk. Uh, do you have audio plugged in? Yeah, I'm good. Can you hear me okay? You sound great. Sounds good. Awesome. So, so I, I don't remember if it was Scott or Jason, but uh, your 2020 predictions in Walmart and FedEx and UPS, um, looking at a massive increase in foot traffic to Walmart to buy toilet paper, um, and then the massive amount of online shipments that are now being processed through FedEx, giving them a stronger valuation. Do you think that prediction of Walmart acquiring, whether it be FedEx or, or UPS, that are you second guessing your prediction now? Um, thought I'd have a fun one with that. And then the next thing I was going to share, um, I want you to answer that question that I'm going to share with you if there's a moment and time for it. Uh, what's become of porch pirates? And I have a story to share with you on Ooh. porch pirates shifting to offices. So I happened today to me at my office and I wanted to share it, but I wanted to get, get your two cents on, on your, your prediction or I don't remember which one of you had the prediction, but it was, I think it was Scott. Yeah, I think that's my prediction. I, I'm going to hold on that prediction. And this is a good time to bring up, um, you know, so Amazon announced in the midst of all these layoffs and closures that they're going to add 100,000 uh, associates. Uh, and they weren't really clear. Um, we have good visibility into a lot of what's going on with their drivers. A lot of those are going to be drivers. Here in North Carolina alone, they're going to add over 2,000 drivers. So, and I'm seeing my prime windows being pushed out. Um, so earlier I said prime now, which is a different delivery network. Many times it's the flex delivery network. Uh, the, the, the one where they've effectively outsourced it to 1099 folks, the, the, what are they called? Delivery DSPs. Yeah. Delivery yeah. service providers. Um, they're adding massive numbers of drivers. So my, my theory is, that's going to really improve at, because they've gone to one day prime and they've got this massive network. Walmart is not going to be able to keep up with that. They're going to go to FedEx or UPS and say, we need you to invest to be able to, so we can keep up with Amazon. They're going to say no, you know, and then Walmart's going to have to buy them to be able to ultimately catch up. Now, will it happen this year? I'm, I'm probably too early on this. This is the curse of these predictions as we're <laughs> always a little early. <laughs> um, but that's, uh, you know, I think I, I still I still think the chessboard is set up for that. Um, and we'll have to see. Yeah. Uh, okay. So you're in a holding pattern. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm sticking to my prediction. Hey, but Joshua, <laughs> more importantly, uh, unlike Scott, I have the, the password to the website where we print the predictions. Um, and so you, you may <laughs> find that I accurately predicted the COVID-19 virus, but I'm... <laughs> <laughs> no, no retconning all right so i'll tell you the fun story uh i say fun but uh it had me sketchy for a half a second um from my main conference room it's a fishbowl and right to the front door of the office um is a glass door and uh this sketchy looking lady and i say sketchy um 
you've ever watched the ring videos of people coming up and pushing the ring to see if you're home and they've got their hoodie on and that whole chestnut. Yeah. It was that, it was that person, definitely uh-huh. that person. Um, and so unbeknownst to her, I was actually sitting in the glass bowl conference room. She didn't see me. I was having lunch watching that 19 videos. It was a good time. And I got it from my chair and went to the door to talk to her. And I was like, hi, how can I help you? And I opened the glass door and um, she was kind of off put because she didn't know that I was there and said, uh, uh, Instacart. And I was like, okay. Um, okay. Uh, what, what suite number are you looking for? And she goes, uh, and I'm on the second floor, uh, two, 220. And I was like, ah, okay, well, I occupy the entire second floor and there is no 220. Are you sure you have the right building? This is 160 North Riverview. And she said, uh, no, uh, it must be, it must be 180. And I was like, oh, okay, well have a great day. And then I closed the door and she, she ended up walking straight into like the bathroom nearby. Went back, started watching my Bat 19 videos, finished my In-N-Out burgers. And oh my gosh, uh, it dawned on me, uh, lightning struck my brain. And I realized she didn't have any bags. She had mm-hmm. nothing on her at all whatsoever, other than her hood over her head, uh, you know, to the degree that she was trying to conceal to some degree her identity. And it dawned on me, that's what's going to become, or at least this is what I'm predicting, that's what's going to become of the Porch Pirates because they know we're all at home now. Mm, yeah, so they're waiting at the offices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, that's good, good point. Yeah, Ring has kind of made it pretty hard to be a porch pirate, haven't they? Sure has. Anyway, that was my fun story about porch pirates. Uh, nice, good job thwarting her. Yeah, I, I'll have some. I'll tell you some other tips and tricks, though. I used uh, I YouTubed ASMR crowd noises. I found a ten-hour video of people talking, so I threw that on a Bluetooth speaker around the corner to make it sound like there were people in the office. Uh, doorbell broken please call receptionist at this phone number and i tried to do anything i could to make it appear as if people were there because i'm probably not going to go to back to the office for the rest of the week yeah yeah that's kind of creepy to you know i wonder if she was just going to come in and just steal some monitors or look for something high value or, or what was up yeah who knows yeah. yeah but uh for sure it's the case uh that uh sad events like this um trigger you know a ton of scammers and so they're they're just so many ways in which we're seeing the absolute worst in humanity, you know, in, in these sorts of circumstances. And for your point that, you know, people recognizing that, Hey, a bunch of us aren't going to be going back to our offices for the foreseeable future. Like there probably are, you know, is an increase in burglary and porch piracy for those, 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 uh, you know, less monitored offices, which, which totally sucks. Yeah. Uh, Another kind of, uh, you know, bad story and this is always it's always amazon and ebay sellers which is always frustrating as the guy that tries to be out there you know cheering those people on yeah. so, so we have the hand sanitizer guy in the new york times right so he had what was yeah. seventeen thousand bottles of hand sanitizer um you know I, I always wonder like why why would he do that interview like <laughs> I <didn't, Yeah. laughs> no, come on very well for him come, come on and take a picture let me show you my my you know my eight thousand bottles of hand sanitizer um, what was he thinking on that one? I don't know. Yeah. But Twitter yeah. tracked him down. They they did. Yeah. And he had to give it away because he got blocked on all the platforms. So so exactly. I guess I guess it, the trust and safety kind of element kicked in. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Last Joshua. note, I think I think you guys should uh do this live video all the time. It's great to see you guys. Oh uh, th- so, thanks. thanks so much for joining, Joshua. That's awesome. And thanks for your question. Yeah. We appreciate it. Yeah. Jason says we have faces for radio, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Uh, I think Jamie wanted to hop on. Let's see what he has to say. 
All right, Jamie, you are now, uh, your mic is muted, but you're able to talk. In other words, you have to unmute your mic. Yeah, he may, he may not have been prepared for. Uh, He's shy. Yeah. Paige and Jamie. Anyone else want to go back to uh, Jamie? Uh, so Adam had a question. Let's go. Let's hop back to Adam while Jamie figures out his equipment there. Okay. Adam, you are, you're live again. Hey guys. Uh, happy to go back to Jamie whenever, but I had asked about, or I put it in the chat. Is this an opportunity for some of the legacy brands that you know we're traditionally buying in store, but maybe not necessarily buying through their websites uh, to connect directly with customers and better compete with some of the DTC brands. So I'm thinking about Nike or Brooks Brothers or Procter & Gamble, and maybe they're, they're coming up with new strategies right now as we speak. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, imagine your brand and I went to the store closures, right. And you, you really don't have a web presence of your own other than, you know, Here's here's the stores that I, I will what I would call where to buy kind of a thing. So you, so you don't have any direct um, channel. Uh, a lot of the sporting goods companies would fall into this category, or like at the hardware companies or something like that. And then all your stores close. So so I think it'll amplify this kind of you know ex, this desire to go direct to consumer that that a lot of the brands have. Um, so so I think you're onto something there. Um, you know, I, I, it, it's always scary. It always is nice to be kind of selling through channels because it cuts out a lot of the work you have to do. You can, it's a lot simpler. You don't have to answer questions. You don't have to deal with all the shipping and opening the retail footprint. But when that is shut down, you know, the, then you have no control over your own destiny and that's really, really scary in business. So, so I, I think you're right. I think it's going to exceed acceleration of those trends of brands going direct. Jason, what do you think? Yeah. Um, uh, I, I also think it's going to accelerate uh, the investment in going direct for a bunch of brands. Um, unfortunately, I think one of the, the ramifications of the pandemic is going to be a greater consolidation of retail and a greater bifurcation of retail. So I, I think when the dust settles, Walmart and Amazon are going to be big winners and a bunch of specialty retailers that were already sick are going to be big losers. Um, we're going to see a bunch of people forced into bankruptcy as a result of being forced closed for two to three months. Um, and I suspect that the total amount of retail square footage is going to be dramatically smaller after this pandemic, like on an order of magnitude of like 20% less square footage uh, for retail in the U S than we have right now. So uh, shelf space for those direct uh, for those products um, is going to be more limited and leverage um, on the part of Walmart and Amazon is going to be greater. And so that puts more uh, importance and, uh, and impetus on all those direct brands um, to have a direct path to the consumer and have an alternative channel to, to wholesale. So I think we'll definitely see that. Um, I also just think there's an element of having your, your destiny in your own hands. If, if you're a product that's not a household essential right now and Amazon starts throttling your ability to get into FBA and their, their ability to sell your product um, because they're focused on the products that are most important to consumers, that's a, a good move for Amazon to make. But that certainly is 
bad for you as a seller. And so if all your eggs were in the Amazon basket, you really didn't have control of your own destiny and you're going to get hit harder by this pandemic than you otherwise would have. And so, you know, uh, for, I, I think for all of those reasons, uh, a lot of brands are going to see increased value in making bigger investments in their own direct-to-consumer initiatives. I guess this is sort of uh, related, but do you think we'll also see some washout of some of the direct-to-consumer brands? I mean, whether it's sort of like those the premium product that maybe wasn't really a necessity that people just are less apt to buy in this economic environment? I'm worried about a way because, you know, they're, um, they're, they're in the kind of the crosshairs of travel. So, so anyone in the travel segment is going to have a really hard time. Um, you know, another one that's going to have big ripples that's not directly related to your question is Airbnb. So they were, they were having a great year. They had really focused on profitability and, uh, we're really teed up to do an IPO. And this, this came at like the worst possible time. So, so I think there's going to be certain categories like, like, um, hotel, travel, events, any, any kind of, you know, any brand in the event space. I can't think of any specific DVDs. Um, you know, Jason, any, anyone's popular? No, I think feed? you're right. I think there's categories that are going to really uh, be hurt by this. Uh, uh, you mentioned Airbnb. Uber, it's not going to be good for Uber or Lyft either, for that matter. Um, yeah. the, you know, there are going to be categories that are, un, are surprising winners, like uh, – Blue Apron was on its deathbed, and now its its, its stock is is uh, you know rebounding as as a result of all these people ordering food. Um, but I would say even if you're not in a category that's particularly adversely affected, a ton of these direct to consumer companies were upside down on their economic model, right? And you know they were they're spending a ton on CAC and trying to grow really fast, and the unit economics were really poor, um, and you know, whatever pile of venture capital cash they were sitting on to execute that strategy, they're now going to burn through that cash way faster for less benefit. And so, like, if you were economically on the bubble, um, you know, this is likely to wipe you out, like, even if you're not in a, uh, a particularly adversely affected category. So I think we'll see some categories get creamed, and we'll see some some uh, not super financially sound actors get creamed. Yeah, this is a good time to work uh, Nicholas's question about supply chain. So, um, you know, the Chinese supply chain is still totally broken. And, you know, the, the factories there are just starting to get back to work. So if you were a DNVB that had a Chinese, you know, supply chain, um, I suspect Casper is. I, I, I don't know I have any data on that. Um, you know, I don't think all birds, I bet, I bet Warby, I bet parts of Warby's supply chain would be Chinese, like the frames to get them the price down so low. Um, so I think that's another, you know, you know, that's, that's terrible because you're pricing the surge in demand. It's kind of like the, the online delivery of groceries where uh, you have this perfect opportunity to really, you know, create a great kind of customer experience. But if your supply chain is, is all screwed up, then, then you're going to have a terrible experience. So um It'd be interesting to go poke around some of the DNBBs and see. I'm sure probably Webb uh, has done this, the, the the 2 p.m. guy, and you know, see are they are the are the shipping times really stretched out? I, I bet that's happening because the Chinese supply chain is probably shut down. Yeah, and the other thing I worry about um, on supply chain is uh, a lot of the supply chains for all the core things that we're totally dependent on is is pretty solid and has high capacity right now. So I mentioned the toilet paper earlier. 
Um, you know, dairy is another one where there's there's a uh, a ample supply chain to meet all of Americans' needs for dairy. Um, comma, that supply chain is relatively fragile and has numerous single points of failure. So um, if you want to do some doomsday scenario planning, think about what happens if uh, a major production facility, you know, gets uh, adversely affected by by the virus and a bunch of employees can't come to work or a bunch of drivers can't drive the truck. Um, there are a number of plausible scenarios that really could put our, our supply chain in jeopardy. So again, I'd remind everyone, we're not there yet. Like right now we... Uh, like we're we're in pretty good shape, um, but you know this is a, a a scary time to have multiple single points of failure for something as mission critical as that. Uh, so with that happy note, should we? Uh, I think we have uh, Jamie's audio uh, sorted. If uh, Jamie wants to ask his question. Hi. Good evening, gentlemen. Uh, welcome to uh, your like fourth show, Jamie. <laughs> thank you, thank you. It's good to see you guys, and glad to see that you're you're looking healthy. Hey, uh, my question was about uh, sales and whether or not there's any there've been any published statistics around official increases that retailers are seeing in curbside pickup or click and collect sales, or even even home delivery sales uh, with with the recent activity with with COVID nineteen. Yeah. So, so Nicholas in the notes, I don't know if you can see it. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, he actually shared uh, some BCG data um, and it compares overall U.S. to Seattle, which is interesting because Seattle's been kind of was one of the first U.S. cities to get hit hard. Um, and it says online grocery is up 9.2% uh, from an index of uh, the time before the crisis, December of January. That's the overall U.S. And then in Seattle, it's showing 16%. So, you know, there, there's definitely some data there uh, on the grocery side. And then this is also showing, uh, you know, every category has been hit negatively. So it's showing travel, electronics, department stores. And then the positive ones start at, at grocery, going into the grocer, um, mass retail, pharmacy, and then online grocery is the one that's really winning. Yeah. Have you seen the other data, Jason? Uh, yeah. So some of these like um, aggressively shop categories, we're seeing like, the category be like up 180, 200%. So that's kind of the order of magnitude for some of these um, peak, peak categories. Um, and, you know, I've, I've seen numerous grocers that are seeing like uh, 2X overall sales, right? And so you think about there's a, there's a lot higher volume of orders. And again, most grocers had a capacity issue. So so that there was not unlimited capacity to grow those orders, but we're also seeing much higher AOVs, right? So uh, consumers are putting more, you know, as, as the hoarding instincts take over, they're putting more expensive stuff um, in their in their cart. Like in the long run, I suspect we're going to see lower consumer confidence and a more value-focused, thrifty consumer be an outcome from this pandemic. But at the moment, consumers are relatively price insensitive while they're they're sort of panic buying. And so like we're, we're seeing some pretty big, big carts. So it's, it's uh, up, up substantially. Yeah. It's interesting. I'm wondering whether or not the capacity, well, I, I'm pretty sure it is that the, the, the lack of capacity is probably throttling some of the, the growth potential there where, 
I think there are, there are a number of retail chains that I've worked with where they were already at capacity in some markets even before COVID-19. So it'll be interesting to see whether this is somewhat of the watershed moment for some of those retail chains where they realize, wow, we've really got to increase our efficiency and our operations and our capacity for, for click and collect. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I would also like, this is a great time to point out like huge pop props to the retail sales associates and retail operators. Um, like people are going to Herculean lengths to keep the, that those flows of orders coming in some adverse conditions. And I'm actually seeing like, local store managers and regional managers um, leverage some pretty significant autonomy to do some really clever things to maximize capacity. Um, so, so we've had a bunch of grocery orders in from a bunch of different retailers um, uh, helping a number of my extended family members make sure that they had sort of minimum stocks of things they wanted. And I've seen things like um, – uh, Jewel Osco handing off delivery orders to TaskRabbit, who they did not have a formal relationship with and was not a delivery partner. Um, but those guys are just going out individually and hiring um, uh, TaskRabbiters to deliver for them to extend their own capacity. And that, that that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Necessity is the mother of invention. Cool. Thanks, Jamie, for, for joining us. It's good to have you. Uh, how, how do you like the live format here? Oh, this is fantastic. I agree. Uh, I think with uh, one of the previous listeners, you should do this much more often. Awesome. Jason can actually uh, change his his background to uh, Star Wars, to the Millennium Falcon. Uh, boom. Oh, he's at the beach. Yeah. So that, uh, <laughs> that's his Chicago we, view right there. Yeah. Like many people, I, um, we had to cancel our spring break. And so I, I promised my wife that she'd be able to work at the at the beach this week. And this was the, the best I could give her. Um, but uh, uh, per Scott's point, uh, my son is much more interested in uh, working for the Millennium Falcon. Wow, that I'm I'm just blown away by the Millennium Falcon. There, I'm going to have to catch up with you offline and find out how how to make that happen. <laughs> cool. In the uh, Jason in the chat, we have Hugh Chin. Uh, apologies if I've missed up your name there. Um, and the question is: Will the federal state government step in and help out the restaurant owners and gym owners? Many are dying very quickly and will not be able to pay bills. Yeah, this is, um, you know, so the, the, the federal and state governments do not move quickly, but they are all hands on deck for these things. Um, you know, I've, I'm a CNBC junkie, so I've been watching this really closely. Uh, the first legislation that, that passed is around employee law. Um, so, um, so, for example, if someone loses their job, there's usually a waiting period before they go into unemployment. Um, and then there's this whole thing where the employer, there's a back and forth with the employer of where they really employed or whatnot. So they've streamlined that. There's, a, I think it's called the Families First legislation. This is passed and is out already. Um, so that was the first thing. Um, so you know, the good news there is there's a safety net for, for, for as you mentioned, these, these local businesses are going to really suffer from this. Um, so there's a safety net for the employees. Now they're rolling out a program um, that you know, I think the name of the next one is called uh, I don't think it has a uh, the coronavirus relief bill. Um, and this one is still being debated, and you know it's got a it's got a lot of bailouts for different industries in there. Um, so there's there's going to be a lot of discussion around who who gets bailed out and who doesn't. Um, and then 
you know, unfortunately, I think it is going to be the larger businesses. So it's going to be the Marriott's and the American Airlines and, and those kinds of businesses that are, are really impacted. Um, you know, there's there's talk about cruise lines and should we do that? That's controversial. We won't go into that on the show. Um, but then, you know, one of the nice things uh, about that package is they are talking about, you know, what if you just gave everyone in America, it's kind of like this universal basic income idea because of this, this, this huge shock to the system. What if everyone just got a thousand dollar check? There'd be a means testing there. So if you were in a certain tax category, you would not receive this, but for all these people that are impacted, giving them a thousand to $2,000 check, um, there seems to be massive bipartisan support for this, which is, which is, which is a good thing. Um, I'm not a political person, so it's always good when you know, it seems like the government's designed not to do stuff, which is always scary. But then, you know, when you do have this kind of, you know, obviously we're all facing this one enemy, um, this virus that, that we can't see, there does seem to be some bipartisanship and, uh, and, and some things going pretty quickly. So, so that's good. Uh, anything else you want to add there, Jason? Yeah, just, uh, wait, God. I'm unfortunately um, uh, pretty pessimistic about the overall impact on this whole um, pandemic. And so I've kind of resigned myself to the fact that we're going to come out of this pandemic in a recession. And so, like, I think it's it's very necessary and appropriate and highly likely that there's bipartisan support for a, a variety of different economic stimulus moves, right? And so I do think the federal government is going to invest in a bunch of ways in trying to goose the economy, which is, you know, probably in everyone's best interest and great. What, what, uh, regardless of where you are on the political spectrum, what tends to suck about these processes is the industries that are likely to get the most help are more likely to be the ones that have the most lobbyists in Washington rather than um, exclusively based on need, right? And yeah. so, you know, uh, uh, just as an absurd example, like, you know, maybe you don't see an, uh, an awesome, uh, bailout package for independent retailers that, you know, in general, aren't well represented in Washington, um, versus the chains, but you see a bailout for the casino ind- industry, which like has a lot more lobbyists, you know, even though our, you know, it's harder to argue a public benefit to the casinos, but, um, so I'm not sure that the money will be evenly distributed. And I do think the economic impact from this is going to be so extreme that, like, I, I don't think there's going to be any cases where it, where the stimulus makes a, an industry better off than they would have been otherwise. I think it's just going to lessen the blow that they, they suffer from some of these effects. Uh, okay. Um, John Jessup had a question. Um, can we can we see if he'll if he's got a mic set up? Yep. Let's Put him on the spot. Uh, John, you, your mic is turned on. Uh, yep. And you just went off mute. Perfect. Hey guys. Hey John. How are we doing? Good. How are you? Doing great. Um, <laughs> you got some partners there. Nice. What's that? You got some little friends there with you. Yeah. My daughter and son, we actually, uh, we're based in park city, but, uh, last Friday they closed down all the resorts, the schools, everything. It's crazy. Uh, so we actually booked it out of there down to Mexico. So I'm actually working out of Cabo for the next month. Uh, that's, uh, that's like, sorry. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. 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 Pretty, Way to suffer. Uh, yeah. It's bumming. Yeah, for sure. Jason. Yeah. Sorry about your, uh, your vacation. That sucks. Uh, yeah. I'm, uh, in the overall scheme of things, uh, uh, like, uh, I'm, I'm sure it will, it'll work itself out, but thank you. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I actually had two questions. Uh, so obviously SFP, self-fulfilled prime is a big deal. 
Um, is that all still normal with, with Amazon? Yeah, it's a, uh, so for listeners that aren't, aren't kind of spun up on this. So, um, I imagine the reason you're asking the question is Amazon has limited inbound f- shipments to FBA. Um, and the FBA is where you're actually using Amazon's entire fulfillment center to, to ship your products. Um, and you know, uh, I look, I saw the list. So it's things like groceries, uh, kind of what they're calling essentials. So groceries, toilet paper, all these things that are really hot right now. So if you're selling, you know, like a six-year-old iPad, they're, they're not going to take that, uh, or electronics or, or anything like that. So, um, so if you sell those things, that's, that's pretty bad because if you're relying on FBA for your fulfillment, you're, you're, you're pretty much toast. So, so, um, you know, but the, the good thing is for sellers, there is another option called seller fulfilled prime. And this is where you fulfill it yourself, but you live up to the prime promise. So you need to say, uh, within, and then you can, you can specify. So this is a good thing. So if you only have an East Coast presence, you can at least still be prime eligible within a window of, of East Coast zip codes uh, and areas that you want to ship. So it is still a thing. Um, my understanding is it's still an invite kind of program. Like they're not going to just kind of say you sell five widgets, you're going to be in the program. I think you have to be doing a fair amount of volume um, and, and kind of, you know, and then a demonstrable ability to ship at those levels, uh, the, the prime levels. And Jason, anything you want to add to that? Uh, just, I mean, uh, I do think it's a problem. I think it's a lesson. Like I feel like there's two kinds of FBA sellers, people that are, exclusively leveraging Amazon and people that are more diversified. And like, I think this is a lesson in diversification. Um, uh, But that aside, uh, like uh, I think there's a a long-term potential that someone goes, man, the Amazon platform is really good for me, but I shouldn't be uh, all my eggs in FBA. And so per, per Scott's point, maybe I start to investigate and invest in, in uh, seller fulfilled prime. I don't think that solves your, you, I don't think that's a, a viable solution in this crisis situation because I don't know this, but I strongly suspect that Amazon has no bandwidth to be onboarding new new vendor fulfilled Prime right now while they're while they're focused in the throes of it. Yeah, th- there is another middle ground. So there are some three PLs, and they offer they're essentially certified to be um, you know seller fulfilled Prime. So so you can go to this third party logistics company, and your products will still show up to be Prime eligible. Um, a, a good example of this is FedEx. So they have kind of a ship by FedEx where FedEx is your 3PL. Um, and then there was a lot of news around the holiday where Amazon kicked them out of seller for full prime, but they're back in. So, so that would be an option if you would want to go look at, um, you know, FedEx has this kind of fulfilled by FedEx. I forget the name of it. Is it ship ship? By FedEx, I forget the name of it. <laughs> it's all confusing. Um, and, you know, so that, that could be an alternative to folks. What was your second question? Yeah, so the second question, obviously, with ShopDoc being moved to September, uh, Salesforce Connections is a big event for us. Uh, we were spending on planning on spending a lot of money on those events for lead gen. Thoughts on how to maybe reallocate that budget for, you know, acquiring new customers? Yeah, what does, what other lead gen things work for you? Uh, obviously outbound, uh, digital. I mean, there's a lot of yeah. things, uh, just, I, 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 it's a new thing we're trying to figure out, you know, how would you allocate, you know, budget, but yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> yeah. And your, your customer is going to be a, um, so you're a vendor selling to, to retailers and brands, right? So you're, yep. you're, you're kind of in the B2B legion. You're not like a right. direct to consumer kind of an offer. Right. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, the, uh, I always have a lot of success with inbound marketing. Um, I, I mean, 
yeah, inbound marketing. So uh, you you put a lot of content out there. I I would allocate it into you doing a lot of content and maybe partner with a forester or someone in your space that can kind of help you with some third party thought leadership. You you put that out there, um, and and you're not really salesy with it, and, and it has this kind of magical ability of bringing kind of people to you. Um, you know, I think I think Jason and I spend all our time on thought leadership, and and you know we're we're kind of the poster children for this this lifestyle. If if that's a thing, <laughs> this is a lifestyle now. This is awesome. this is the dream. You're looking at the dream right here. I love it. Uh, yeah, John, you it's, be doing a webinar at nine o'clock at night. Yeah, it is a tough question. Uh, my my wife is also like runs marketing for a vendor in the e-commerce space, and so she's in that same boat. She's had a bunch of her her events canceled, and she's trying to figure out how to re. Uh, direct that capital. And I do think Scott's answer is excellent. Like I do think um, pivoting to more content marketing um, does make a lot of sense because I tend to think of events as being um, sort of 90% of the value you get from these industry events is top of the funnel value. Like 10% of the value you get is bottom of the funnel, right? So you go to that shop talk, um, maybe you have a one-on-one meeting with a hot prospect who's already in market for your product and you go home with like two or three leads that are pretty far down the sales tunnel funnel. And so you, you have these three leads um, that are ETH wor- wor- worth a lot of money to you that are bottom of the funnel. But the majority of people you're going to interact with and the majority of benefit you're going to get from that event is enhancing your brand awareness and brand trust so that six months from now or nine months from now, when someone is in market for your service, um, you're more likely to win. You're more likely to be the first phone call. You're more likely to you know, survive in the consideration set. And so when I think about marketing tactics, you know, a lot of the traditional digital marketing uh, tactics, paid advertising is very bottom of the funnel, right? And so when I think about marketing tactics that kind of replace that top of the funnel thing, um, I do think content marketing is very strong. Uh, I am starting to see people have better results with uh, B2B influencer marketing, which, you know, is maybe a, um, a, a specific version of content marketing is a way to think of it. Um, but so I, I do think those are a potential play. Like even if these events, you know, the problem with the March event getting canceled and getting postponed to September is even if the event is awesome in September, um, from your perspective, you're going to be generating a bunch of leads at the end of the year, you know, that are less likely to have a, a payoff in this calendar year. And so like, I do think you, you, you want to think about alternatives rather than sitting on that money for late in the year events. Yeah. I, th- I think it's, I think, you know, um, I'm on the board at channel Advisor, so I don't have a real time view of this, but uh, you know, I, I was through, I made it through 08, 9, 11, and then the dot com bubble burst. It's going to be really hard to close deals in the next three months because no one's going to take any risk. So, so I, I would hunker down and sell stuff to existing customers, you know, more seats, more products. I, I think it's going to be that kind of a world. So it's probably okay. You don't, you know, what would have been really bad is if you had spent all that money and got some leads and then you, this, this virus hit and then, you know, you're, you'd spend all the money and there's no way to get these guys to your pipeline. Um, so, so I, I would, I think you're going to, it's going to be a hunker down period is, is kind of what I feel. We That's awesome. Thank, thank you guys. That's awesome. Thanks. So I see Scott Silverman's on. Let's let's just kind of uh, he's a friend of the show. So let's just poke over there and see if he'll answer if if, if his mic's on. Okay. Let's. All right, Scott. You are your mic is uh, turned on, although you're muted at the moment. If you weren't expecting us to call on you. 
you would you may need to go into settings and give your computer permission. I feel like right, you, well, uh, that, yeah, it looks like you just got it working. Hey, Scott. Hey, Jason and Scott. How are you guys doing? Good. So, uh, listeners, we we have a celebrity. Scott Silverman um, was one of the original shop.org guys, and he coined the phrase Cyber Monday. So, this is like having e-commerce royalty on the show. It's really, really good to have you, Scott. Um, I, I don't know if I would say that, but... Uh, He's also nice humble, to guys, too. And thanks for doing this. Um, I was just sitting here lurking, so there could be, like, children coming in and interrupting in any moment. So just that's the new normal, my friend. Fair warning of that. That's part of the program. Bring them in. Do you have any burning questions? How about your, you do a lot of event organizing. I imagine this has been really chaotic for your world, right? Uh, yeah, I'm learning a lot about force majeure and impossibility clauses. <laughs> uh, thinking about, uh, all those things. We, my commerce next business was, Scheduled to do a party at Shop Talk, so we have rescheduled that to September, and uh, you know, just closely watching the news, trying to see uh, what the duration of all of this is. That's the big question I'm thinking about right now in terms of the business. Yeah, yeah, it's frustrating because it's impossible to know. I, I feel like with with nine eleven, we kind of knew pretty quickly what was going on, and and you know, we got through that very quickly. Um, 2008, it was kind of a slow boil. And then once we had that fallover moment, then we kind of knew we were going to come out of it with the, the TARP program and, and things like that. Um, this one, when, you know, there's, there's the cone of uncertainty is just huge. We don't know how long, how deep this is going to last. Um, and it's really makes it very hard to, as an entrepreneur uh, and anyone in business to kind of know what's going to happen. So I, I feel your pain. How about, um, I know you, you do a lot around the cross-border trade and global. Um, has that kind of frozen up in this environment or are we still seeing a fair amount of cross-border trade going on? Uh, haven't, I mean, we had our uh, cross-border event in February, uh, February 13th when this was all starting and there was still a lot of energy around that topic. Um, I mean, we're seeing you know, continued interest on the cross-border vendors, uh, uh, just like the previous question that came in about lead generation. So it seems like uh, I would assume that they are having some productive phone calls or conversations. Uh, I haven't really heard from any retailers specifically about their cross-border shopping. So I don't really, I don't really have anything to contribute on that. Um, what I can tell you is I, I actually was able to squeeze in a couple roundtable dinners last week before everything essentially shut down in LA and San Francisco. And it was, a, it was a very interesting time. The dinners were intended to be on some specific topics, but everything turned into coronavirus and impact and adjustments. We, the, it, this was, you know, things are changing so quickly. But just last week, the consensus was that this actually could be fairly, you know, not positive, but they were seeing increases in sales. The people that were selling on Amazon were seeing more sales. People were attributing this to work from home and people having more time on their hands. Um, but I think if we were to 
ask all those people again, uh, you know, you know, one week from that conversation we had, it would probably be very different. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm amazed you got there and home so that, that congrats on, on, you know, surviving the, the travel craziness. Yeah. Empty planes. Yeah. It's kind of freaky. Cool. Thanks for joining us, Scott. We really appreciate it. Um, let's see. Uh, thanks. Thanks. We appreciate it. Come on. Uh, Melissa, I think we so sadly, Scott, uh, she, I think she just dropped, I don't know if it was a technical problem or a problem with her mic, but, um, uh, I just I just opened up her mic in a second after that she dropped so maybe she'll bounce back in here in a second um, uh, or maybe we we just went too long for her could be uh, speaking of going wrong long we're a little bit past our hour do you want to go ahead and wrap this thing yeah uh, it, it, uh, I, I hesitate to even say that we've gone long and used up all our a lot of time because um, it's so awesome that so many of you are willing to come in and uh, uh, join us live with the show. We'll, we'll definitely do this again. Uh, I suspect it's a slight advantage that we're all sitting at home with less to do than we, uh, we normally did. Um, but really appreciate everyone's uh, support of the show and uh, uh, joining live. And if you want to do us one other favor as we hang up, um, go jump on and give us a fresh review on iTunes. And it's, I know it's a royal pain in the neck because you, Oddly, iTunes only lets you write reviews from the app. So if you go to jasonandscott.com, there'll be a link right there to go to iTunes. It'll open up our show in your app, and then you can write us a quick review. And uh, that's really the way uh, you can reward us uh, for the time we invest in the show. But uh, um, super grateful for your support, and uh, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Thanks, everybody. And until next time, happy commercing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com. 